Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's business time, baby. You are listening to Solo Monster Sounds Off. It's such good shit. Mama Monster. Conquered! I like fighting a woman. Your behavior just hasn't been very oozy. Oh my God, we're only an hour in. Eric Bischoff is an idiot. We have two more hours of this. Maybe the single stupidest idiot that ever got into wrestling. Who writes this stuff? Bruce? Come over here and fight me. I'm the Sala Monster, damn it. <laughs> it's a Super Bowl Sunday edition of the Sala Monster Sounds Off for February 12th, 2023, episode 795. My prediction for tonight, 31-24 Eagles. But I don't care for either team, so I'll be watching for the commercials. I hear there's a uh, Popcorners commercial in there with Walt and Jesse from Breaking Bad, so that's what I'm looking forward to. You know, the NWA had a pay-per-view last night. Nuff Said. That was the name of the show. Nuff Said. And I saw clips from the main event, which had Tyrus defending the 10 pounds of gold against Matt Cardona. The worst match that I have seen all year, even in clip form. And I sat through the pitch black match at the Royal Rumble. Okay, so that's not a statement to take lightly. But this was just on another level. You know, I mean, I know some people were upset at my comments when Tyrus first won the title. Oh, you're just hating on the guy. Give him a chance. I didn't need any more proof of how awful he is in the ring. But this this was his first title defense, or at least the first defense of his that I've seen. And he was somehow even worse and more immobile than the last time I saw him. And this man is the NWA champion. I felt bad for Cardona. It looked like he was trying his best, but not even Ric Flair in his prime could pull a good match out of this fucking guy. And Bully Ray now, I see, is being teased as a future challenger for the NWA title. The same Bully Ray who just worked a program with Josh Alexander for the Impact World Championship. Bully can work, though. He can still go in there and work a brawl. He can draw heat. He's still good at that. Tyrus is such a terrible choice as champion. Bully Ray would be a welcome sight with that NWA title. During the pre-show, EC3 announced that he has signed with the NWA and that he is bringing control your narrative with him, whatever that means. He's he's bringing it with him, like it's his manager. I'm not sure what's left of it at this point. And then he wrestled Kevin Kiley later in the show, the former Alex Riley. You all remember our old pal Alex Riley and his Twitter tirade on me when he was still in WWE, challenging me to have him on the podcast. Called me a coward. Not the only wrestler to call me a coward, by the way. More on that later when I talk about AEW. I think it was like a week later, I think, WWE released him. Anyway, he's back. He's back now. And he nearly killed himself doing a suicide dive that he had no business doing. So his big comeback may have ended in one night. I don't wish ill on the guy. I hope he's okay, but that was ill-advised 
on his part. I don't know why everybody is always so upset with me. I, I, it's bad enough I have to deal with this Charles Mason guy now in House of Glory. Anyway, I mentioned the Super Bowl. There is a Super Bowl sale that is ongoing. If you are listening to this on Super Bowl Sunday, you don't have a lot of time left. It's today only through the end of the big game. You can get 20% off all shirts in our store on Pro Wrestling Tees when you use the promo code Super Bowl at checkout. So go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Solomonster Sounds Off. You want to get 20% off your very own Sound Off t-shirt. Uh, I want to give a shout out here to all of our PayPal VIPs this week who showed some love. $10 or more will get you a nickname and a shout out. Of course, you can always find the link at the top of the link tree on thesolomonster.com. I want to say thank you to the Portland pop star, Paul Hamilton, who uh, dropped a big bomb on me on Friday night. Thank you, Paul. Night Stalker, Nayef Al-Safar, Big B, Brian Becerra, Killshot, Keith Hart, Velvet Revolver, Robert Murray, the Chicago Slayer, Willie Eichard, the Diamond Dallas Dance Machine, Harrison Soap, New York Punk, Arnold Modesto, John Raging Mad Riffle, the Wichita Workhorse, Clayton Nettleton, Iowan Corn Farmer, Jesse Lampier, and we got some birthday boys also dropping donos this week, Daredevil, Doug Lippert, who turned 34 this week. I hope it was a great birthday, brother. The real one, Robert Davis, whose birthday is tomorrow, and he had some very kind words about the show. So, Robert, thank you. And uh, I hope that you get a good go-home show tomorrow. It's not really the go-home show. It's the go-home raw. Still have SmackDown. But actually, if it's your birthday, you shouldn't be spending it watching Raw regardless. So hopefully you have something much better to do. And Sherrod Big Daddy Boyd, whose birthday is actually today. So Sherrod, if you are an Eagles fan, I hope Philadelphia wins. And if you are a Chiefs fan, I hope Kansas City wins. And if you are not a fan of either one of those teams, I would say that I hope the game ends in a tie and nobody wins, but the Super Bowl cannot end in a tie. So I guess there's always next year's birthday. Now, if you tuned into my Monday Night Raw stream on YouTube, you saw the exclusive video announcement of the return of Scoop This. And for those of you who are not familiar with Scoop This, it was pro wrestling's version of The Onion or a late 90s version of Kayfabe News before Kayfabe News even existed, uh, to use a wrestling analogy. I had it on my list of favorite websites back in the day. It was always great for a laugh or a pick-me-up if I was having a bad day. I could have used it this week. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I could have definitely used it this week. But anyway, on uh, Sound Off 655, that was June 7th of 2020. Everybody was stuck at home, right? It was in the middle of all that uh, pandemic craziness. I was talking about Chris Hyatt and Larry Zonka, who were both affiliated with the website 411 Mania, both of whom had recently passed away. Uh, although Chris Chris hadn't been part of 411 Mania, I think, since like 2004. But it led me down memory lane, and I was talking about some of the old wrestling sites I used to visit, Scoop This being one of them. Well, it just so happens that the Scoop This team... I won't say who in case they don't want to be named, so we'll say the team, uh, are fans of this podcast. And they were listening. And they had already been batting around the idea of a relaunch. Me mentioning them is what ended up convincing them that it was worth giving it a shot. They then reached out to me, and they allowed me to be a sounding board for them on some of their ideas. And this has been going on now for over a year. 
this has been in the works. This time, it's not just a website, it's a digital magazine. I've had the chance to see some of it. I don't know everything that's inside, but I know enough about it to tell you that I think it's funny, and I think it's done in the spirit of the old Scoop This. And so the first issue is called The Black Issue, to be followed by The White Issue shortly thereafter, both of which will be available free for everyone. Uh, This first issue marks the 25th anniversary since the birth of Scoop This, which is very cool. And it'll be up very soon. Uh, Right now, you can go to scoopthis.com for more info. Uh, They've got a placeholder up there for the time being. But I want to thank them for trusting me with this and giving me the chance to make the announcement. Uh, So give it a look once it's out. Even if you were not familiar with them 25 years ago, if you have a sense of humor, I think you'll enjoy it. And if you don't have a sense of humor, then... What a boring person you must be. But I know that doesn't include anybody who listens to this show. Now let's get into the news here, and we'll start with the most serious of stories that broke earlier this week. Jerry the King Lawler suffered what was described as a massive stroke in Fort Myers, Florida on Monday where he keeps a condo. Uh, There are conflicting versions of exactly what happened One version being that after having lunch with his friends, he was found face down in the parking lot of his condo. Another version comes from Dutch Mantell, who has been friends with Lawler for decades. He spoke with Jerry's son, Kevin, who said that his father had driven his moped scooter to a store on the corner, not far from his condo, when the shop owners noticed that he was a little unsteady on his feet. And the store's owner... Uh, has a daughter who just so happened to be there and just so happens to work as a nurse at a hospital that specializes in strokes. And she recognized the signs right away. They called 911 and they got him to a hospital. Whichever version you want to believe, he was rushed into emergency surgery. He had no movement on one side of his body. I believe it was the right side. And at first he was unable to speak at all. People close to him were very concerned about the paralysis on the right side, especially because of his artwork. Lawler is an incredible artist. I mean, whatever you think of him as a person, he's an incredible artist. Uh, He's really got a gift for it. By later that same day, he had regained partial use of his right arm. He had some speech, although his speech is still affected. Uh, They say that's one of the last things to come around. Depending on the severity of the stroke, some people never speak normally again. Others recover enough to where you would never even know they had a stroke. It's just too early to know which camp he falls into. Lawler was just on the Royal Rumble kickoff panel less than two weeks before this. And he was in Florida to attend the old-time comic shows Heroes Meet Horror Con. He does a lot of these conventions. Uh, Last Saturday, he had planned to spend the entire week at his condo. This is according to his friend Dave Brown, who along with Lance Russell was a staple for years on Memphis Wrestling. Brown said that he spoke to Lawler via FaceTime early Tuesday afternoon and was very encouraged. He told the Memphis Commercial Appeal, Some of the initial reports were just horrible. So I feel much better than I did 18 hours ago when I felt like I got hit in the face with a shovel. I was incredibly encouraged after I did FaceTime. Jerry was alert. He talked to me. He could only say a couple of words at a time, which is pretty normal. But he was able to move both legs and both arms. I feel very optimistic that he is eventually going to recover. Someone posted to Lawler's Twitter account on Wednesday with photos of him in the hospital with Jimmy Hart visiting, saying that with rehab, he is expected to make a full recovery. The next day, 
his girlfriend Lauren posted on Lawler's Twitter page that he was out of ICU and he would be returning to his Florida home for outpatient rehab for his limited speech and cognitive skills. And doctors are hopeful for a full recovery and uh, she said that Jerry is looking forward to returning to his fans very soon. For all the health issues that this man has had, he has got to be the luckiest son of a bitch in the world. He had a heart attack on live television in 2012 that almost killed him. Actually, it did kill him for 20 minutes. This was, this was, of course, the whole Monday Night Raw situation. His heart stopped beating for what they claimed was 20 minutes before they brought him back. It was Dr. Samson, who now works for AEW, who saved his life. And he had no visible lingering issues from it. Speech-wise, cognitively, he made a full recovery. It's like he came out of it unscathed. Then, he had a stroke in 2018, the first one. This week was not the first stroke that he's ever had. He had one five years ago. After having sex with the same Lauren who tweeted from his account the other day. And he told the story on his uh, podcast at the time. I'm sure he loved telling this story. That he had, you know, he made sweet love with his, I think she was his fiance at the time, but whatever. And, uh, and then she looked at his face and she noticed his face was like drooping. Half his face was like sagging. He looked in the mirror and said, oh my God. And they realized that he was having a stroke and she rushed him to the hospital to find out that he had a hemorrhage in his brain that landed him in intensive care for three days. Two of which he couldn't speak. That was two and a half weeks before WrestleMania 34. By the time WrestleMania rolled around, he was back on commentary for the Andre Battle Royal. And he hosted the Hall of Fame ceremony that year like nothing ever happened. You know how many people have heart attacks and strokes and don't live to tell about it? Let alone have no obvious lingering issues from it? (laughs) So now he has another stroke and survives. And they expect him to make a full recovery. This guy's got more lives than a cat. But the man is 73 years old. So anytime there's a serious medical episode like a stroke, you know, there's reason to be concerned about that sort of uh, thing. He'll probably fare better than most with his recovery uh, based on the sounds of it. You know, WWE wouldn't let him back in the ring after his cardiac arrest. But he's still been wrestling independently every year since then. He doesn't need the money. He does it for fun. He's been doing it for so long. To him, it's just, it's fun. It's what he does. I mean, he's made no bones about the fact when he's been interviewed over the years that him doing commentary in WWE was never his intent. He's not really a fan of doing commentary. Think about how long he's been doing commentary for WWE for. Going back to 1992, 1993. It was never a passion of his. He did it because they asked him to do it. And so he became part of this iconic duo during the Attitude Era, which was the most, you know, the most popular period in the history of the company. It just so happened that he was on commentary with, Jer- with, with Jim Ross. So that, that's how so many fans grew up watching him and they'll know him first as a commentator, not a wrestler. If you grew up in Memphis, especially around the time when he was the champion, he was a top star there. You have a very different opinion and viewpoint of Jerry the King Lawler than people who only know him from watching Raw and SmackDown. He wrestled 10 matches last year. He just wrestled the Beer City Bruiser a few weeks ago, which marked 53 consecutive years in the ring, which is pretty insane. 
My guess is the Beer City Bruiser will not end up being the last opponent that he steps into the ring with, but he should be. I mean, if you're an indie promoter, would you take the chance of putting a 73-year-old with two strokes and a heart attack in the ring? That doesn't seem very wise. As Josh Matthews once told, or actually many times, told uh, referee Tim White when they used to do the old uh, skits together, Mr. White, that's not very wise. This is what they have state athletic commissions for. But that's the update on Jerry Lawler. He is uh, he is on the mend. SummerSlam officially has a home this year, and that home is Ford Field in Detroit, the home of the Detroit Lions and the site of WrestleMania 23. The date will be Saturday, August 5th. This is not the first SummerSlam in the state of Michigan, but it is the first since 1993 which was the show where the Lex Express finally reached its destination and Lex Luger celebrated his big count-out win over Yoko Zuna. And that was the end of his... That was really the end of his career in WWE. Tickets go on sale Friday, April 14th. So SummerSlam is back to August after being held in July last year for the first time. We'll see how much they open it up for. I don't believe they opened the entire stadium for it in Nashville last year. When they held WrestleMania there, they claimed 80,000, which is still the attendance record, but that's that's what they claimed to make sure they got the record. I wouldn't trust those numbers. They're not getting anywhere close to that for this show, but they would probably think they would open it up for maybe 50,000 or so. This was the Nick Khan plan to do more annual stadium shows, Rumble, Mania, SummerSlam. They were going to do Money in the Bank at Allegiant Stadium last year, and then they moved it to a, a much smaller venue when they went I think it was the MGM Grand they went to for that show. Uh, yeah, that didn't work out too well last year. But this is all part of the Nick Khan plan. And speaking of Nick Khan, last week I mentioned the CNBC interview he did where David Faber, the anchor, said that based on what he is hearing, Comcast uh, slash NBC Universal was not interested in buying WWE. And Khan, who was just hearing this for the first time live on set sitting there, Khan told him, well, you know, I don't know about that. He said this to one of the anchors on a network called CNBC, which is owned by Comcast. I would say the man's sources on this are probably pretty high up the food chain there. Uh, I, you know, I don't think he pulled that out of thin air. Well, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a negotiating ploy by Comcast. There, you know, there's interest, but they don't want to pay top dollar. I'm not talking about flop dollar. I'm talking about actual top dollar, uh, top dollar. <laughs> Comcast wants to pay top dollar here for WWE. Maybe it's a negotiating ploy, or maybe they just really are not interested. But anyway, CNBC had a follow-up story to the interview on their website. In it, they noted that Vince McMahon's possible future involvement in the company has become an early sticking point in talks with potential buyers. And at this stage of the belief is that McMahon's presence is more of a hindrance than a help in these negotiations. Well, that should have been obvious from the moment he forced his way back into the fucking company. There may be some potential buyers who would want to keep him on. I don't doubt that. But you'd have to expect a lot of the other ones don't want to have anything to do with this guy. Of course he's a hindrance. They're still going to make bank, though. Whoever they sell to, in the end, they're still going to make a lot of money. He may be a hindrance with some of them, but in the end, they'll find somebody who doesn't care... Who's willing to pay their asking price? And he'll make out like a bandit. Reportedly, Vince alone stands to make two and a half 
billion dollars on any potential sale. And in the Observer, Dave had a, a breakdown of who stands to make what. Stephanie would walk away with $170 million. Linda would walk away with $50 million, and she hasn't had anything to do with the company for at least a decade. Kevin Dunn would walk away with $24 million. Nick Kahn with $14 million, which sounds low to me. And Paul Levesque, he's way down there. He's got a paltry sum of $8 million. Not listed anywhere, by the way, is Shane McMahon. Poor Shane. Poor Shane. You know, I'm old enough to remember a time where we all thought that he would end up running the company one day. Maybe maybe he and his sister. It seemed like he was being groomed for that spot when he first popped up on TV during the Attitude Era. All the talk was, and this guy's the heir apparent. And now they're both out. And Kevin Dunn is going to walk away with more money than him. See, all those disagreements with his father cost him a lot of money. Kevin Dunn knows better than to disagree with the old man. And uh, he's going to make out very nicely from any potential sale. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It looks like WWE might be getting a big name back very soon. There is a wrestling bootmaker. Not to be confused with all the bootlickers that exist in the wrestling community online. His name is Jose G. Sands. And he's followed on Instagram by a bunch of wrestlers, Drew McIntyre, Bray Wyatt, Bailey, among others. He posted an Instagram story this week where he stated that Randy Orton recently contacted him about making boots for his return. And this was translated from Spanish to English. He said, I haven't, I haven't made them yet, but Randy Orton contacted me via email for his return. Currently, oh, I wonder if uh, maybe it's like, Viper52431 at uh, yahoo.com or something. But anyway, he said, Currently, Drew McIntyre and Bray Wyatt are some of the biggest superstars. Today, I received an order for boots for Cody for WrestleMania. Now, this is on the heels of pictures that popped up this week from a recent visit that Orton paid to a Boone Center somewhere in Missouri, uh, one of which shows him flexing his biceps. He looks to be in at least upper body, looks to be in great shape. Boone Center, by the way, is a nonprofit that uh, provides employment opportunities for adults with disabilities. So we have these photos, and then this report comes out, and it looks like Randy Orton has not worked his final match after all. I, I don't know if anybody really believed that he had worked his final match. I mean, there was always a chance. But, you know, Shawn Michaels came back after four years. Edge came back after nine. You know, there's no such thing as a retirement in the wrestling business. Getting him back in time for WrestleMania, that might be a stretch. 
And I'm not sure they, I'm not sure they even need him for WrestleMania. Although it would have been nice to have him and AJ Styles on the show. Yeah, I don't mean against each other, just having them on the card. Uh, but I just don't know what they do with him. You know, it would be like Roman Reigns after three straight years of headlining WrestleMania, announcing his comeback from leukemia at the end of February and being given a 10 minute undercard match against Drew McIntyre at WrestleMania just to give him something to do. Now, Matt Riddle hasn't been brought back yet. They could always reunite RK Bro for a tag team match on one of the two nights of WrestleMania. I mean, hell, that could be why we haven't seen Riddle back on TV yet, because they think Orton might be available soon. So why bring Riddle back if they have no plans for him? Just wait and see if you could reunite RK-Bro. Or bring him back in the next few weeks, and then immediately have Riddle turn on him, and then you can get a singles match out of it. But to me, that would just feel rushed. Why rush something like that when RK-Bro still has mileage left in it before you do the turn you can get a big SummerSlam match out of Orton against Riddle you know they're going to have a stadium to fill at SummerSlam this this August so I don't see there being a need to rush that match WrestleVotes on Friday tweeted the following I'm hearing that WWE has begun filming brand new movie parody promos similar to those from Wrestlemania 21 Miz, McIntyre, Sheamus, the Brawling Brutes, and the Street Profits are all expected to be included in the promotion for WrestleMania Goes Hollywood. So this is a follow-up to what I just talked about last week on the podcast when I said, man, they're showing replays of all the old vignettes from 2005, which were great, but boy, that's going to suck and be lame if all we're getting this year are just replays of the old promos I certainly hope with the budget they have now, compared to what they had in 2005, they could produce some fresh ones. And then this gets tweeted. So that's great news. They gotta get Rhea Ripley and Dominic in there somehow. I don't know what movie they would parody, but they need to find a way to get the two of them in there. Maybe some kind of holiday movie, like a Thanksgiving or a Christmas movie, since we all know how important the holidays are to Rhea and Dominic when they show up at Ray's house. Uh, let's talk about the TV this week because there were some big things that went down. I thought Raw was overall a good show on Monday. Had lots of names in the show. The Cody segment with Paul Heyman was outstanding. Brock Lesnar was there. He made a rare appearance. He was confronted by Bobby Lashley. Edge and Beth Phoenix, they challenged the Judgment Day to a match. Lita randomly showed up to give the assist to Becky Lynch in her cage match with Bailey. And they filled the final three spots in the two Elimination Chamber matches this weekend. Two in the men's match and then one in the women's match. The the Cody promo. Let's talk about the Cody promo first. Love the way that he put over Sami Zayn. Very smart. Very similar to what I've suggested. Which was, again, the smart play here. If you want to just make sure. And this is not the same situation as 2014. Where the fans are going to be up in arms in full rebellion that Sami Zayn is... Not in the WrestleMania main event and Cody Rhodes is, but you want to make sure that you do everything you can in your power to not make Cody the bad guy here. And by having Cody go out there and basically verbally put over Sami Zayn and say, I look forward to meeting you or challenging you for the championship at WrestleMania, I thought that was the smart way to go. But this was all about the interaction between Cody and Paul Heyman, who showed up by himself to confront Cody there were a lot of references to Dusty, who both met, obviously, you know, Dusty 
Cody and Dusty have a connection, obviously, but so does Dusty and Paul Heyman. And then the money line at the end of Paul's promo was that in his last conversation, my last conversation with your dad, he told me that you, Cody, were his favorite son. But Roman Reigns was the son that he always wanted. And Heyman did the mic drop. Cody's eyes bugged out. He walked up to Heyman like he was going to hit him, but he stopped short. And Cody told Paul, I'm just trying to win a wrestling championship and everybody wants to make it personal. You're not going to pay for it, Mr. Heyman. Your boy, Roman Reigns, is going to pay for it at WrestleMania when I take those titles personally. This was great, great stuff. And it was also great in part because it was rooted in reality. The history with Heyman and Dusty is very real. Dusty himself has spoken about Paul Heyman before on Paul's DVD. Going back to when... Paul used to sneak into the WCW production meetings that Dusty was leading when he was, and, and this is at a time when Heyman was still just a photographer. I don't even think he was doing the managerial stuff yet at that point. And I had forgotten about Dusty's run in ECW, which Heyman brought up in this promo as well, uh, or actually Cody brought it up, but that's very real. You know, at the time, Dusty and his family financially around 2000 were not doing well. And Cody said he had memories of Dusty doing local car commercials, not to, not so much for the money, but to keep the car so their car wouldn't be repossessed. And it was Paul Heyman who phoned and said, hey, I got this idea for a program and a match with you and Steve Carino and ECW. And look, this was at a time when ECW wasn't, wasn't paying some of their own people. They weren't doing well financially either. But Cody said that Paul lived up to his word. He told, he promised Dusty you'll get paid, you'll get paid well, and he did. And he thanked Paul for that. And I had forgotten about that. That Dusty had that brief run uh, with Carino in ECW. Finding a way to weave that into the story was brilliant. And Dusty is also an important part of the story that Cody told last year when he first came back. Now they've made it personal. Now it's not just a random match. Cody and Roman, what's the story? We're already seeing the story. The story is developing right before our eyes. That was the purpose of the promo on Monday. Yes, we still have Montreal. We have to get to Elimination Chamber first. We have to get to Roman and Sammy. But just know, there's a history here. There's a story here to be told. This was the kickoff to the program with Roman and Cody. And, you know, look, to go back to the point I made about having Cody put over Sammy and saying that he looks forward to wrestling him, it was the smart play. It's why the idea of adding Sammy to the match at WrestleMania which I know some people were and probably still are advocating for, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to put Sami Zayn in there and make it a triple threat match. That is so incredibly short-sighted and stupid because it would do nothing but sabotage Cody Rhodes. After Montreal, they can focus more on Cody's story and we'll get that first face-to-face interaction with Roman and Cody, which I am looking forward to. But there was also a note in the Observer, and I'll read right from this passage here from the newsletter. Paul Heyman was originally not booked to appear on the show Monday night. He was always going to be in Orlando because Brock Lesnar was booked on the show. And Heyman is also a key part of all creative when it comes to Roman Reigns, as well as Lesnar and Ronda Rousey. That changed during last week. The final product was largely put together by Heyman and Cody, Much of the recent Reigns and Sammy stuff, notably the angle at the Royal Rumble, comes directly from Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman. 
So the irony is that Heyman was involved in putting together something one week later to overshadow probably the greatest angle that he's had a hand in in a very long time. Which just goes to show you why Heyman is such a valuable piece of the puzzle in WWE. I don't know what he's getting paid, but it might not be enough. They're very fortunate to have Paul Heyman in their stable and not elsewhere. Now I want to talk about Boren Corbin. Boren Corbin lost on Monday to Dexter Loomis in an appropriately Boren match, after which in the back Corbin was buried six feet under, actually more than six feet under, by JBL, ending their partnership. Everybody always says six feet under. They This was at least eight or nine feet. JBL told Corbin, there's no we. I headlined WrestleMania. I sold out arenas all over the world. I was must-watch television. All lies, by the way. I was must, must-watch must TV. You are channel-changing TV. That sound that you hear when you get in the ring, that's remote controls around the world changing the channel to anything but you. And I don't give a damn about you. I give a damn about the fact that my Hall of Fame legacy, my championship-laden career, has lost all credibility because of you. Modern-day wrestling god, I'll tell you what you need, is a red nose and floppy shoes because you are a clown. You do not belong near me. You can't polish a turd. I tried. Now, you know me. I don't throw the B word around as much as other people do because I just think it's one of the most overused terms in all of wrestling. But they buried this man so far beneath the ground, the worms and the maggots are looking down at him. And they're going, holy shit, I didn't know it went down that far. JBL is like Bully Ray in that he still knows how to get heat. It's not that this pairing could not have worked. It's that there was nothing that changed about the Baron Corbin character when he went from Happy Corbin to being Baron Corbin. And Happy Corbin sucked. This this was not much of a reboot. And as I said on Monday, you can put lipstick on a pig, but a nice, you know, little red bow tie around the neck and a top hat on his head is not going to change anything. At the end of the day, it's still a pig. Now, Broke Corbin was the most entertaining he's ever been. This this felt like this could lead to a return of that character. And for a while, yeah, that could be entertaining. But I don't see that being a long-term thing. It has a shelf life. I don't think Corbin wants to walk around looking like that, looking all disheveled for another year of his career. Now, it could lead to a babyface turn because this felt like a segment that was meant to draw sympathy for the guy. But I don't think anybody is ever going to be excited to see a Baron Corbin match. I mean, they've been at this now for, for a decade. On Monday, I proposed calling up Cameron Grimes, who's been MIA now for months after his NXT run came to an end. He was due for a main roster debut that still hasn't happened yet. I thought maybe pairing him with JBL and making Corbin play second fiddle, maybe, you know, even they end up turning into an odd couple team. That could possibly work because Cameron Grimes is actually entertaining. But according to Mike Johnson, a PW Insider, JBL is done as an on-air performer. This is not a case of him dumping Corbin for somebody else. JBL is gone. The only person who got anything out of this was JBL. He got his face on TV and he got a payday out of it. Because Corbin sure didn't get anything out of it. So you know what? Good for JBL. I still think the Grimes idea could work if they wanted to bring him in to help a, yeah, like a down-on-his-luck Corbin 
let Corbin go back to being bum-ass for a while, then Grimes shows up and tries to get him out of his funk. But this was a Paul Levesque move. Triple H saw that it wasn't working, and he pulled the plug. That may not be a good sign for Corbin's future. I am sure that back when he was doing the Lone Wolf stuff in NXT, and when they initially called him up because he's a taller guy, right? They, they saw big things in his a big guy, big future. But now we're seven years into this experiment, and there is no way they intended for him to be in the spot that he's in right now. You cannot tell me that six, seven years ago, when the Baron Corbin push first started, that here in 2023, this is where they expected him and wanted him to be. There's no way. There's no way. And to have JBL on TV burying him the way that he did. And they tried. Oh, did they try. United States champion, Andre Battle Royal winner, King of the Ring winner, Money in the Bank winner, followed by one of the worst Money in the Bank cash-ins of all time, which I can't blame him for that. That was the way they booked it. But it's not as if he hasn't had opportunities to get over at a top level, and it just has not happened. It's not going to happen. How many more opportunities is this guy going to get? How much patience does Triple H have? Corbin is a Triple H guy, technically. Triple H got handed the keys to the developmental system in June of 2012. Corbin was hired two months later. So he came in right when Triple H really began to change what NXT was, which up to that point was just a bad television show, almost like a game show. I mean, I I know the guy is well-liked among his peers by all accounts, but if I'm him, I'd be worried. After what we saw on Monday, and we're heading into WrestleMania season, you know what that usually means, I would be worried. Then on Friday, Paul Heyman was confronted by another Roman Reigns opponent and given a stern warning. This time it was not Cody Rhodes, it was Sami Zayn who said that Roman had eight days left before losing his titles. And what followed then were multiple segments throughout the show involving the Usos and Paul Heyman. And another one with Sami Zayn confronting Jay Uso out in the parking lot to build the Bloodline story up even more. There was the question coming into the show of whether or not Jay Uso would even show up for the Usos' SmackDown Tag Team title defense against Braun Strowman and Ricochet, which he did. And they retained. He said, I always got your back. I always got my brother's back. But as far as Roman Reigns and the bloodline, when Jimmy asked him, are you in or are you out? Jay told him, I don't know. And when Paul Heyman asked Jimmy about it, Jimmy lied to him and said, oh, he didn't say anything. There was the segment with Zayn and Jay Uso where Sammy thanked him for what he did and, and really what he did not do at the Royal Rumble. And he told him, the bloodline is on the outs. You don't have to go down with the ship. You should be on the right side of things, not the wrong side. And it ended with Jay returning a fist bump from Sammy. And then finally, at the end of the night, Heyman told Jimmy, look, I I talked to Roman. I would have put you on the phone with him, but you know, we got bad reception here. I talked to Roman. He wants you and your brother to stay home next week. Don't even come to Montreal. We got things covered. And then the ominous line that, Sometimes you see things watching at home on TV, live on television, that you don't see when you're in the building live. And I didn't pick up on it in my review, but that absolutely was a reference to Roman having watched the segment with Sammy and Jay 
And the fact also that Jimmy lied to the wise man. That makes it even better. I figured they only did that to explain why the Usos wouldn't be at TV uh, Friday or or the pay-per-view on Saturday because the belief is that they're not allowed into Canada. Uh, or at least Jimmy is not. I'm not totally convinced that's the case with Jay. Now I see Meltzer is claiming he's been told that both Usos have been cleared to travel to Canada and they're good to go. So this could all end up being a swerve. Both Usos may end up being there. But Roman, yeah, the story obviously is that Roman saw those segments watching from home. I don't know uh, how good his uh, television reception is there on the island of relevancy, but obviously he was watching and that's why Heyman delivered the, uh, the line that he did. What does that mean for the future of the Usos and the bloodline? This, the story just keeps getting better. Like, I can see where it's going. There are elements of it that are obviously predictable, but the way they're telling the story and the, and the characters involved playing their parts, everybody is knocking it out of the park. It's been, it's been an incredible story. You know, when you're watching a wrestling show, you don't expect the stories to be deep, you know, fucking award-winning performances and, and things like that. But this is the closest thing that WWE has had to something like that in I don't even know how long. It's been amazing. And since Elimination Chamber is this Saturday, that means that it is time for early predictions before I even have a chance to see the two go-home shows this week. So if anything changes based on that, I'll run through my uh, updated predictions on Friday. But here is the card as things stand from what is going to be an electric Bell Center in Montreal, Quebec. The first WWE pay-per-view from Montreal in 14 years since the Breaking Point pay-per-view in 2009 where John Cena and Randy Orton had their I Quit match and they did a Montreal screwjob finish in the CM Punk Undertaker main event uh, which is every bit as stupid today as it was back then. You know, being in Montreal is like catnip to this company. It's like they cross the border and they just can't help but feel like somebody needs to be screwed. Can't help themselves. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On SmackDown, Madcap Moss won a fatal four-way match to challenge Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship I could have sworn Michael Cole said the match would happen at Elimination Chamber. It's possible they end up doing it the night before. They're going to be in the same building on SmackDown Friday. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. I mean, you could do the match any place, any time. It doesn't matter. The outcome will be the same regardless. Gunther retains. It's just a warm body for him to beat before he defends against hopefully Sheamus and likely Drew McIntyre at WrestleMania. Edge and Beth Phoenix take on Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley. In a mixed tag team match, it's very likely that Edge and Balor are having a singles match at WrestleMania. Uh, A Hell in a Cell match has been rumored. 
That coupled with the fact that Rhea is challenging Charlotte for her championship, probably in the night one main event at WrestleMania, means the Judgment Day should absolutely pick up the win here. And I think it'll be Rhea pinning Beth to do it. Yeah, the Judgment Day needs at least one win on this show, and I don't think Damian Priest is getting the job done in his match, so I think Balor and Rhea get the job done here. Brock Lesnar goes one-on-one with Bobby Lashley, or uh, as Brock would say, Bobby who? Bobby Lashley. Uh, This is not official yet, but it will be after their contract signing on Raw tomorrow night. I think, I still think they have one more match left at WrestleMania. And because of that, I think they could get away with doing a non-finish here, where neither man wins. Some sort of double DQ or a draw. Uh, it may not be the most satisfying finish, but it could help them get to where they need to go at WrestleMania. They could do a stipulation match at WrestleMania, make it no DQ, so we don't have a repeat of what happened in Montreal. But I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say we don't get a winner. We don't get a clear winner in this match between these two. We have the women's Elimination Chamber match for a shot of the Raw women's title at WrestleMania with Asuka, Liv Morgan, Nikki Cross, Raquel Rodriguez, Natalia, and Carmella. Uh, this should be Asuka's spot. There is no better choice. I look at the six women in this match. There is no better choice for the winner than Asuka. And it'll be Bianca defending against the murder clown at WrestleMania. Lita saved Becky Lynch from an attack by damage control on Monday night. As I mentioned, Becky and Lita, or possibly Becky, Lita, and Trish against Damage Control is rumored for the Elimination Chamber, which if if that's the case, they're going to have to announce it tomorrow night. And Dakota Kai has been walking around with a brace on her knee on crutches coming out of the Royal Rumble. So I don't even know what her status would be. I don't even know if she'll be cleared in time for this weekend. I could see Becky, Trish, and Lita against all three members of Damage Control as a WrestleMania match. But they might want to do it this weekend, Trish and Canada. I mean, they already have enough Canadian representation on this show. You got Edge, Natty's in the chamber, Sammy's in the main event. Uh, but I could see them wanting to do Trish in Canada. So, uh, if it happens, if the match does happen this weekend, then it's going to be a win for Team Becky. We have the United States Championship for the first time ever up for grabs in the Elimination Chamber with Austin Theory defending against Seth Rollins. Johnny Gargano, Bronson Reed, Damian Priest, and Montez Ford. It's a great mix of talent here. You got a number of different options. You could argue for every single person in this match as a potential winner. If Priest wins, he brings gold into the Judgment Day. Bronson Reed has been a beast since he came back. I would love to see him take it. I would not be beating him this soon. In a match like this, it's not like you're going to get counted out or you're going to get disqualified. You got to you gotta be beat. I would not beat him this quickly since he just came back. He just debuted on the main roster. He just debuted on TV not that long ago. If it were my choice, I'm giving the U.S. title to Bronson Reed. Seth Rollins doesn't need the belt back, and he's already got his match with Logan Paul pretty much set for WrestleMania. And Austin Theory is wrestling John Cena most likely at WrestleMania. He doesn't need the U.S. title for that. But I think he retains. My prediction is that Austin Theory walks in with the U.S. title. He walks out with the U.S. title. I don't think they're going to want him losing before the match with Cena. At first, I felt differently. It felt to me like the whole reason for doing this was to get the belt off of him before WrestleMania. But now, I look at this. 
I think he's keeping it. I think it works better if he loses it because it makes the Mania match a little more unpredictable without a belt being on the line because we all know John Cena is not sticking around after WrestleMania. I don't know how many times we'll even get him on TV before WrestleMania. Supposedly they taped something at the end of December with him and, and Theory in the back. That may be the only segment we get from Cena before WrestleMania is a taped segment from December. He's in Australia right now, dressing up like a woman for some movie. I saw the pictures this week. So I'm not even sure how available he'll be for this match, let alone coming out of WrestleMania. So if there's a championship on the line in this match, then you know John Cena is not winning it. Without a title on the line, the result could go either way. You can argue that Cena's going to win because he's the bigger star. Or Theory's going to win because he's the up-and-coming star and Cena's there to put him over. But at least it's a little less predictable that way. But Cena is a former U.S. champion. He did the Open Challenge gimmick for a while. I could see Theory coming out of the chamber gloating about how now he's the greatest United States champion of all time. And that then leads into the program with Cena. But I, I honestly, I look at the six men in this match, I would not have a problem with any of them uh, winning the championship. Reed would be my preferred choice, but I think it'll be Theory. And in the main event, Roman Reigns defends the undisputed WWE Universal Championship against Montreal's own Sami Zayn. I have not looked forward to a match like this in a very long time. This is going to be a lot of fun. I think a lot of people will be disappointed when Sami does not win the titles, because he is not. Uh, but I don't have any other expectations that uh, he will. But that doesn't make this, uh, I don't think this makes the main event any less big. I don't think it's going to make it any less fun to watch, especially in that building. There are people who are suggesting Bret Hart show up and he introduces Sammy the same way he introduced Sammy when he debuted on the main roster back in 2015. As a Bret Hart fan, I, I would never argue against being able to see him make a cameo in Canada, right? That would be cool. I don't think it's needed. Sammy, you know, on the main roster back then, Sammy was a nobody. So it made sense. You have somebody like Brett there in Canada, of all places, to endorse him before he brings him out. And then he came out and got a big pop. And then he waved his arms around and he tore his, you know, tore his fucking rotator cuffs. But, and still went out there, by the way, and had a good match with Cena. Uh, but that was very stupid of him to do. Now it's like, I, I don't know that I would waste the pop. I don't mean that if Brett's there, somehow Sammy's not going to get a a big reaction, but I don't know that Brett is needed in that spot. I don't know that I would, you know, you trot somebody out there to get a a huge ovation and then he has to introduce Sammy so that Sammy gets some kind, you know, like a bigger ovation. I I just don't think it's needed. If it happens, it happens. I guess it's a cool callback, I suppose, but uh, I'm actually not really uh, all that enamored with that idea, but look. We see Brett on the show. That's always a cool thing because Brett doesn't make very many appearances these days. Right? He wasn't at Raw 30. I know he doesn't want to travel as much, flying and everything, which I understand. So uh, if he's there, then I guess that's cool. I got no problem with that. But the match itself, I expect this is going to be a great main event. Right? We know what Sami Zayn brings to the table. Roman Reigns has had countless great main events with different people. A great main event with Logan Paul. In Saudi Arabia, right? So I don't expect this match to be anything but great. The question is, what do they do for a finish? Because Sammy is not winning the titles. Roman Reigns is, is going to win. Roman Reigns is going to retain his titles, right? That 
I, I don't even think that's in dispute. And I hope that we don't get a Montreal screw job here because they're in Montreal. We got to do a screw job. No, hopefully that does not happen here. Because uh, then you're just going to get people hopeful that they're going to add Sammy to the main event at WrestleMania. And that's, it's not going to happen. The question really is more about the Usos. Will they or won't they be there? Based on the angle they did at the end of SmackDown Friday, they won't be. Now Meltzer is saying that they're both cleared to travel to Canada, which would mean that if they want them there, they can be there. The main person that really should be there and would need to be there is Jey Uso. Jey Uso back with his brother, right? He he teamed with him on Friday. I would never leave you hanging. But on the subject of Roman and the bloodline, he wasn't ready to give him an answer about whether or not he's in or out. I think that answer comes on Saturday. I think at the very least, Jey Uso does show up. And I think he makes his choice. And he factors into this finish, ultimately leading to Roman Reigns beating Sami Zayn, who perhaps even has the match won. But it's the Usos, it's Jay, who get involved and cost him the match. Roman retains. Sammy gets beaten down and pulverized after the match until Kevin Owens, his first appearance since the Royal Rumble when he was handcuffed to the ropes, makes his uh, triumphant return. Big pot for KO in Montreal. He makes the save and we get the reunion. We get the embrace at the end of the night with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn which then, of course, leads to them challenging the Usos for the tag team titles. They have their own big run going, by the way. By the time we get to WrestleMania, they will be well over 600 days as tag team champions. It'll be KO and Sammy challenging for the tag belt at WrestleMania. Those are my thoughts on the Elimination Chamber, which, of course, I will have live coverage for on YouTube as soon as the pay-per-view is over Saturday night. So I expect you all to be there with bells on. They're going to be at the Bell Center. So I expect you all to be be uh, present with bells on on Saturday night when I go live. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You guys uh, need to know I am at my best when I am able to be productive and get a lot of work done. Which this past week I was not as productive as I usually uh, am because I wasn't feeling well and that sucked. And I hate when uh, I have things to do and I just can't get them done. But I'm at my best when I'm able to do All of the things that I need to do. And there's never any shortage of work to be done. But sometimes life gets in the way. It can throw some challenges your way. Working with a therapist can help you overcome those challenges. And more specifically, working with a therapist through BetterHelp can get you back on the right track. Having used BetterHelp before, which I've talked about, it worked for me. And it can work for you as well. Even if you've never tried therapy before, the benefits are clear. It can help you learn positive coping skills and learn how to set boundaries. And it can empower you to be the best version of yourself. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, it's flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Solomonster today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Solomonster. I didn't have a chance to review Dynamite on Wednesday because I was sick. Plus, they've been on a roll lately, so I was pissed. But I did watch the show, and I thought it was another strong outing. It was not without its flaws. But it was a strong show. The main thing was that we had three excellent matches. 
And a two-hour show with three excellent matches is a thumbs-up show from where I sit. MJF wasn't very happy with me, called me a coward for missing the stream. I got called out by the AEW World Champion two days after the fact. You just know this fucking guy is sitting there going through some reviews and he realized one of his favorites was missing for a show that he was all over. I mean, this guy had at least four different segments on this show. And so he got all pissy about it. Look, I get it. I get it. I'd be upset too if I went to go find the latest sound off and it wasn't there. But I'm human. What can I say? These things happen. Better late than never. MJF against Takeshita was a lot of fun. And he gave Takeshita a lot before beating him. He was no pushover here. This was as competitive a match as you could ask for. If Takeshita would have won, he would have earned a championship match this Wednesday. But as little as MJF wrestles, this was, I think, only his second match since winning the title, I believe. His first since the Ricky Starks match of Winter is Coming. If he loses, I mean, what does that say about your world champion? But this was great. There was a spot where they were both on the ropes. Takeshita gave him a lariat. And MJF landed on his feet like he was ricochet. After the match, he busted Takeshita in the head with the dynamite diamond ring. And this was like the second time in the last two weeks. The camera caught the guy blading on TV. If all these guys are going to blade, I wish they would work it out with their production people. (laughs) Just, Just get them all on the same page. And then, because the camera was lingering on him after the match, we got a shot of Takeshita... Passing the blade to Paul Turner. Because when I'm watching a movie, I always love it when I see the props being passed back to the prop master. That, that's that's always fun. MJF came back out again later for Brian Danielson's match with Roosh. But before that, after his uh, hard-fought victory in the opener, he had a backstage interview with Lexi Nair. And he told a story that was apparently rooted, at least to some degree, in reality, even though this gave off a strong Katie Vick vibe, minus the whole having sex with a mannequin in a funeral home thing. He talked about hydroplaning his car when he was in high school with the girl he was with, you know, giving him oral in the front seat. And to protect her identity, he called her Liv, which is why Liv Morgan was trending all night on Twitter. I'm sure she had a good laugh about that when her phone started to blow up. He hit a telephone pole. She cracked her head on the windshield. It didn't kill her, like poor Katie. But he said that he was met with adversity in that moment as he could hear the cops coming. He could hear the sirens. And he was only one traffic ticket away from getting his driver's license revoked. So he had to make a decision. And so he switched seats with her to make it look like she was the one driving instead of him. says, in this life, there are winners and there are losers. And he was going to expose Brian Danielson for the loser that he is. There was an accident in real life when he spun out with his football buddies and hit either a tree or a telephone pole. He's done this before. He likes to weave some of his real life experiences into his promos. Uh, I think it was one of uh, his promos during the CM Punk feud where he told the story of being bullied by some anti-Semitic shitheads in school. Uh, This one was designed to make him even more of a scumbag than you already thought he was. And I also loved, by the way, how he admitted to multiple crimes on live television. This is wrestling, though, so, I mean, that sort of thing is sort of accepted. As long as it happens on a wrestling program, it's not admissible in court. 
there were reports of fans phoning the Nassau County Police Department in Long Island to report him for this heinous crime. Hundreds of calls, in fact. But the uh, public information office there, when contacted by Mark Ramundi of ESPN, said that uh, they had no idea what he was talking about. So long as they don't make uh, Liv the Fellatio Queen a recurring character on this show like WWE did those few weeks with Katie, then this served its purpose. The man is a prick. This was meant to reinforce that idea and remind you of how much of a prick he really is. Jamie Hayter beat the Bunny in a match that looked like it went home early because the Bunny may have gotten hurt on an ugly suplex, so... It's hard to judge this. You know, the finish came out of nowhere. They obviously had more plans, so I don't want to say anything more than that. Ricky Starks had to run the gauntlet against the Jericho Appreciation Society. He beat Parker and Menard in the first 90 seconds of the match. Then he had to wrestle Daniel Garcia, and he lost. After Chris Jericho, in the front row wearing a lucha mask, hit Ricky with the worst Judas effect that I have ever seen. Jericho must have still been hungover from his cruise. And poor Ricky Starks not only had to sell it, but a lifetime went by before Garcia finally got him back in the ring and then he pinned him. And even after the match was over, when Jericho pulled the mask off to reveal himself, Starks had to continue selling this. This whole thing made Ricky look like such a tool. As, as, and by the way, as if he didn't know what he would have to contend with wrestling these guys. He had no backup plan to bring in any help. And then that Judas effect was just the cherry on the shit Sunday. Here we are over a month after Ricky Starks already pinned Chris Jericho clean. And he's out there alone fighting for the right to wrestle him again. This, this really felt like it cooled him off. So I, I hope they have something good for him to come back with on TV this week. My idea? Just put a microphone in his hand. When all else fails, you put a live mic in his hand and he'll do the rest. The man is gold on the microphone. Danielson was backstage in the trainer's room with Takeshita being interviewed by Renee when somebody locked them inside. MJF came out to the ring. He told referee Aubrey to start counting for his match with Roosh. And if Danielson doesn't make it back to the ring by the count of 10, he forfeits the match, and therefore there's no Iron Man match at Revolution. This was the final match Danielson had to win to make the Iron Man match official. Brian ended up knocking the door down. He made his own little door dash to the ring just in time. And so we got our match. MJF stayed out there on commentary. And what followed was the expected excellent match that you would expect between Brian Danielson and Roosh. These two are great. They're two of the very best in the business right now. Danielson already has three match of the year, early match of the year contenders on his resume, just from this gauntlet alone that MJF has been making him run through with his matches against Takeshita, Bandito, and now Roosh. My one critique is that Danielson, he, he bled a gusher here. And I know he loves it. That's one of the reasons he signed with AEW. He wanted to bleed. I get that, but we already had Takeshita slicing himself open after the opening match. I didn't think it was needed here. It's not needed all the time, which continues to be one of my gripes with AEW. Not not that they use blood, but they rely on it way too much in situations where it's really not always needed. The crowd was super hot for this, though. Uh, I saw some criticism of the smaller crowd. They had around, I think, 4,000 in the building 
which honestly, that wasn't too far off from the capacity of the venue that they were in. I don't see what the problem is. They've routinely done crowds of 5,000 or more recently. They generally run smaller venues, and I'm sure part of that is the fact that WWE has most of the bigger buildings on lock. So yes, AEW has gone through a stretch with some light crowds. They've definitely had some uh, some issues in that department, and that's been a problem. But to criticize the last, I'd say, month or so of TV for having small crowds, I, I think that's being disingenuous. And the crowds they do have, I don't care how small they are, the crowds they do have, they have been louder than most crowds that you see on WWE for Raw or SmackDown, outside of the Sami Zayn stuff. Most of the AEW crowds blow the WWE crowds away, just in terms of their reaction and how loud they are and how energetic they are. If, if you have an AEW Dynamite taping with 3,500 people in a, in a relatively small building, and you have a WWE, let's say, SmackDown, that's in a building with eight or 9,000 people, more often than not, that crowd will be dead, and the AEW crowd will sound like a 10,000-seat arena. I'll take that over most of the WWE crowds that we get. So I don't see what the big deal is. Uh, Danielson wins with the running knee. He punches his ticket to Revolution to the surprise of absolutely nobody. MJF hit him with the Dynamite Diamond Ring after, like he did with Takeshita. And he locked on the salt of the earth arm breaker. He refused to let go. He looked like a crazy man in there. They had to try to pull him off. Then we had the Elite successfully defending their trios titles against AR Fox in top flight. Another excellent match. Fox in particular, I thought, looked great out there. It's cool to see him getting that recognition, getting that stage after being MIA from the national scene, you know, national television for so long. Each of these three matches on this show gave you something different. This was the match with all the crazy moves and nonstop action that the Elite does so well. Now let's start planting the seeds for a match with the House of Black. That, sh- that should be their next big program. Then we had the Shocker of the Night, which was the Guns beating the Acclaimed to win the AEW Tag Team Belts. And the Shocker wasn't just that the Acclaimed dropped the belts, but that the Guns won them without help from their dad. I was sure we were getting a Billy Gunn heel turn after all... I know, they were sort of teasing you. There were little teases there. Even in the promo they did backstage, Billy and, and the Acclaimed earlier in the show. And then you had the ref bump when uh, Billy Gunn came out to the ring. And shout out to Stefan Smith, the referee. He took one of those old Earl Hebner bumps out of the ring. Uh, that, that was uh, quite the bump. But I didn't like this match. I didn't like this match. As a main event, I I didn't think it was any good. Felt very disjointed. They really wanted you to think Billy was turning, but instead the guns hit their dad with one of the tag belts. And then for the finish, Austin Gunn reached through the ropes. He walloped Anthony Bowens with the belt. Right, Classic heel tactic we've seen before. But I just didn't think this came off well at all. And then I don't know if they just had too much time left to kill or what, but everybody was just sort of standing around awkwardly for a while, until they went off the air. Yeah, the guns are okay as a mid-level team. Putting the tag belts on them makes more sense if Billy turned and helped his sons win, and then he rejoins them, or if FTR is coming back, and they take the belts off the guns. Because the last we saw FTR, the guns ran them off and gave them a funeral on, on television. Dax Harwood has said their deals are up in April, they have a big decision to make, 
If they've already made that decision, or if Tony Khan thinks that they're staying, then using the guns as transitional champions to put the belts on FTR, let's say at Revolution, or if that's too soon, maybe they do it a double or nothing, that would be the logical way to go. Instead of having FTR, let's say, beat a babyface team like the Acclaim. Billy could still turn. Just because it didn't happen on Wednesday doesn't mean it still won't happen at, you know, Revolution or something. Uh, that could be why this came off so awkward. They wanted to make you think that it was going to happen, but it didn't. It's part of a longer-term plan where when and if the Acclaim get their rematch, and who the hell knows now, because they're back to working with Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett this Wednesday, then that's where Billy turns on Bowens and Caster and he helps his boys retain. The story is already there with FTR. If they want to get the belts on them, I have no problem with that. But unless Billy was turning, this should not have been the main event. You know, Billy Gunn turning on the Acclaim and helping his sons win the belts, that's a big enough angle where you could headline with it. Um, but the way they did things and the way the match came off, you know, it just, it was not, it did not feel like a main event. I know why it was put in that spot because they wanted a title change to close out the show. But it should have been Danielson beating Roosh in the main event with their world champion trying to break Danielson's arm as the closing shot of the show. That's what they should have ended with. But there is another possibility why they switched the belts off the Acclaim to put them on the guns. It might not just be FTR. I saw the promo from Sting and Darby Allen on Rampage where Sting said that the two of them, they would be going out in a blaze of glory. This, this was like uh, Thelma and Louise here, the way that uh, they were talking. We know this is Sting's final year in the ring. And if Darby keeps wrestling the way that he is, this may end up being his final year in the ring too. Although for very different reasons. But we know this is Sting's final year in between the ropes. I don't see his final match being until later in the year, maybe full gear. But I would not be opposed to putting the tag belts on Sting and Darby and giving them a token run before Sting hangs it up for good. If they were going to do it, you wouldn't have Sting and Darby beat a babyface team like the Acclaimed, right? Or FTR. But the Guns, they would be the perfect sacrificial lambs. I don't know if that promo was in reference to them going after the tag belts, but given the timing of the title change, it did hit me as at least a possibility. If FTR has not yet made their decision, and they might still leave, that maybe the plan is not to give them the belts, maybe the plan would be to get the belts onto Sting and Darby out. Now, the Dynamite lineup for Wednesday, it's its only Sunday, and it's already pretty stacked. I don't know how much more they could add to this. We've got the Blackpool Combat Club against La Facción Ingobernable in a Texas Tornado match. Brian Cage takes on Jungle Boy. Mark Briscoe is back. He's going to be taking on Josh Woods. This stems from a backstage confrontation on Rampage, where smart Mark Sterling and Woods interrupted a Briscoe promo. Tony Storm, Britt Baker, and Ruby Soho in a triple threat match. Hangman Page takes on Kip Sabian. The acclaimed Billy Gunn and Orange Cassidy take on Jay Lethal, Jeff Jarrett, Satnam Singh, and Sanjay Dutt. Jim Ross interviews Wardlow. Renee will interview Adam Cole. And the AEW World Champion, MJF, is obligated to appear. We'll see if the coward shows up. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I've got an update on the AEW Fight Forever game. I talked recently about the reason for the delay and why we have we still have no release date. AEW and THQ Nordic, they've been trying to get a T for teen rating for the game from the ESRB. Some of the content in the game was preventing that from happening, but the last update from WrestleZone was that they were hopeful in resubmitting that the game uh, this time would get the rating they wanted. Well, it looks like they got their rating. On the ESRB website, they now list the game as rated T for Teen, with blood, language, mild suggestive themes, use of alcohol and tobacco, and violence. Sounds like my kind of game. But it's the description that I love so much. And I want to read this to you. Under Rating Summary on the ESRB site, It says, this is a wrestling game in which players compete in matches with wrestlers from the AEW roster. Players use punches, kicks, and grappling maneuvers to drain their opponent's health. In some match types, for example, barbed wire, stadium stampede, and unsanctioned, players can use barbed wire, baseball bats, metal chairs, and Molotov cocktails against opponents, eventually resulting in submission and or knockouts. Yes, I would think that a Molotov cocktail would result in a submission. It would result in worse than that. But if I had a Molotov cocktail thrown at me, I think I would submit to. Blood splatter effects can occur during matches, staining the mats. Video footage of real matches also depicts blood on female wrestlers in revealing outfits. For example, deep cleavage, bunny outfits and partially exposed buttocks. I'm not sure why bunny outfits are considered reveal. Is a bunny outfit really revealing? I'm not sure why bunny outfits would be considered revealing, unless the bunny's buttocks is partially exposed. Which most bunny's buttocks would be exposed, would they not? It's a fucking bunny. It doesn't hop around wearing cargo shorts. Anyway, it continues here. Wrestlers performing taunting gestures, for example, crotch chop, slapping buttocks. There, there again with the buttocks. Real footage sometimes depicts wrestlers drinking alcohol and smoking. And finally, the word shit is heard in the game. Well, if, if that's the worst word heard in the game compared to a typical episode of Dynamite, uh, I would call that PG. See, it's not, it's not a real... AEW game. Unless we have John Moxley saying the word fuck every 10 seconds. I hope they include the audio issues in the game also, just to make it more realistic. You want to make the game as authentic as possible. You know, like every time somebody goes to cut a promo, their microphone just drops out. Andrew Zarian of the Mat Men podcast spoke with an old colleague of his. He says is Deep in the gaming, where I wonder if this person has deep cleavage, like uh, what they said here on the ESRB site. But he said uh, his colleague is uh, deep in the gaming world, who told him that the game is currently slated for a Q2 release. 
So when I was speculating that they might drop the game around the time of the Double or Nothing pay-per-view, it looks like I might not have been too far off. Some other news and notes. New Japan Pro Wrestling held its new beginning in Osaka show on Saturday, and it's so nice to have cheering crowds back, finally. With some newsworthy developments, Kazuchika Okada beat Shingo Takagi to retain his IWGP World Heavyweight title, and after the match, Okada issued a challenge to Hiroshi Tanahashi, who was ringside doing commentary after his win earlier in the night over Kenta. Tanahashi got in the ring, they agreed to a match at their Battle in the Valley show in San Jose this Saturday. Old rivals meet again, why not? Why not? One for old time's sake. I wonder if we might see the uh, GHC champion, Kiyomiya, show up after the match to confront Okada. They have a match scheduled for Muda's uh, Tokyo Dome show next week. You know, the same Muda who says that uh, he can't even walk right now. As I was getting ready to sit down and record this, Noah had their own show uh, this morning called The Great Voyage in Osaka. And there was finally a uh, development here. Kiyomiya had a match. He beat Jack Morris to retain the GHC Heavyweight Championship in the main event. After the match, Okada showed up, and he delivered a Rainmaker to Kiyomiya. And after laying him out, Okada said, If you want a match with me, you ask Mr. Okada and say please and thank you. And then he said that he accepted the match, finally, for the Tokyo Dome, because he's been talking like, you know, the match has been announced, but I've never agreed to the match. I'm not going to be there. There's not going to be a match. He finally accepted the match for the Tokyo Dome, but he said not for Kiyomiya, but because the ones I can't stand are the Noah fans. This this is giving me like Bret Hart in Memphis vibes from 1993, right? Babyface in his promotion, uh, but he goes somewhere else and plays the role of heel. That's That's great stuff. So now it's official. Even though it was already announced, now it's official. Okada and Kiyomiya... February 21st at the Tokyo Dome, but we'll see if maybe, uh, you know, the GHC champion shows up, Battle in the Valley, and pays the favor back to Okada for what he did this morning on the Noah show. Also on the show yesterday, we had a Loser Leaves Japan match with Jay White and Hikuleo, two men that had been on WWE's radar, uh, so the outcome could have gone either way, but it was Jay White being pinned after a chokeslam. First, though, came the too-sweet gesture which was a callback to Hikaleo's time in Bullet Club and his many tag team matches with Jay White on uh, New Japan Strong. But then came the choke slam in the pin. It's almost like the, I'm sorry, I love you. And then the choke slam and then the pin. So Jay White can no longer wrestle in Japan. He is still on their Battle in the Valley card this weekend, which is not in Japan, against Eddie Kingston. Even though Kingston is dealing with an undisclosed injury uh, suffered this week. Defy Wrestling announced yesterday that Eddie was going to miss their show. He had a match scheduled. He was not there. The injury supposedly happened on Wednesday. But Kingston was not on Dynamite or Rampage. So I have no idea how it happened. Maybe uh, Sammy Guevara strikes again. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what happened or uh, what it could be. But he was tweeting about Jay White like the match is still on. So unless we're told otherwise, the match is still on. Jay White's New Japan contract is believed to be up very soon. How soon is very soon? That could be a week. That could be a month. That could be three months. We don't know. If he goes to WWE, 
I think the Raw after WrestleMania would be a great place to debut him. You know, some guys, very few these days, but some guys like AJ Styles, there are exceptions, uh, get to bypass NXT. But when AJ Styles debuted in WWE in 2016, that was a very different NXT. Right? That was the black and gold NXT. Can you imagine WWE sending Jay White to the current modern day version of NXT? The black and gold NXT would have been a fine place for him to hang out for like three to six months. This version of NXT, it would be a fucking joke to send Jay White there. I don't care. You know, well, you know, they'll teach you how to where the hard camera is and blah, blah, blah. Jay White going to this modern day version of NXT would be a colossal joke. You fast track this man to the main roster. That's if he goes to WWE. There's also interest from AEW, and he has wrestled in AEW before. He's got lots of friends in AEW. He's got friends in WWE, too. I saw Bronson Reed just posted a uh, tweeted a photo of him and Jay White. But he's probably got more friends in AEW than he does in WWE. But this is the wrestling business. This is not a social party. This is not the friends business. I would want to go where I feel I could, A, make the most money, and B, have the best opportunity to become a top star. Under Vince McMahon's creative, I would have had no hope for somebody like Jay White. I don't think Vince McMahon would have gotten Jay White. Under Triple H, I have more faith. How long that'll last with Vince being back and sniffing around that, I don't know. And I think if you're Jay White, or if you're FTR for that matter, that should be a concern. That and the fact that this company could be sold within the next 90 days. And there's no telling who may end up with it. And what influence they might have on creative. They may blow up the entire creative team. I mean, if Jay White signs, let's say, a three-year deal with WWE, and then a week later they sell the company to somebody who wants to blow everything up, (laughs) well, that could suck for Jay White. That could suck for a lot of people there. So you have to weigh that as well. There was a time where I would have said AEW would have been the better fit for Jay White. I don't feel that way anymore. I feel like he, I feel like he would get a better shot in WWE than he would in AEW. I, I would like to see him get that run in WWE. The man has done it all already in New Japan. Their first Grand Slam champion in history. Only he and Tanahashi hold that distinction for singles titles that they've held. Winning the IWGP title. Intercontinental title, U.S. title, never open weight title. He's headlined the Tokyo Dome. If you ask him, he single-handedly sold out Madison Square Garden against Okada. Let's see what he can do somewhere else. AEW, I think he would end up lost in the shuffle. In WWE, there isn't as big of a shuffle for him in that upper part of the card to get lost in. So I think he would fare better there. The full va- uh, battle in the valley, easy for me to say. The full battle in the valley, I almost said valley in the battle. The full valley in the battle card, <laughs> which is inexplicably airing the same night as Elimination Chamber. I still don't understand that. Uh, only this one has a 10 p.m. Eastern start time since they're on the West Coast. It airs on Fight TV with the following card. We have Kyrie defending the IWGP Women's Championship against Mercedes Monet. And uh, I see a title change there. IWGP World Heavyweight title on the line. Okada defends against Hiroshi Tanahashi. That should be an Okada win. And again, let's see if Kiyomiya makes an appearance after. The New Japan Strong Openweight title. Fred Rosser, former Darren Young, defends against Kenta. We've got the New Japan Strong Tag Team titles on the line. Motor City Machine Guns defend against World Class Wrecking Crew. 
the New Japan Television Championship, defended by Zack Sabre Jr. against Clark Connors. Eddie Kingston, still scheduled to wrestle Jay White. Filthy Tom Lawler in a filthy rules match against Homicide. And Mascara Dorada, Josh Alexander, Adrian Quest, and Rocky Romero against Kushida, Kevin Knight, Volador Jr., and the DKC. There's also two pre-show matches with David Finley against Bobby Fish and J.R. Kratos against Alex Coughlin. I would love to watch the show live, right? At least the main events. Uh, I'm sure I will at some point, but I have no idea when that's going to be because I'll be streaming not very long after this show begins. I'll be live on YouTube talking about Elimination Chamber, and then the next morning I have to record a podcast. So I'm sure I'll talk about the key matches on 796 next week. I, I just, I can't guarantee I'll have a chance to see all of them before I record. And I just, I hate that. I hate talking about stuff before I've had a chance to actually watch it. So I will, I will try to squeeze that in before I uh, record next Sunday. Uh, we'll skip NXT this week. I, you know, as sick as I was, that was one of the things that uh, got sacrificed was NXT. But let me just do a few mailbag questions here and get out of here. So you guys uh, who are watching can get to the big game. You can email me, thesolomonster, at gmail.com with any uh, questions you may have. We'll start here with uh, Joshua in North Carolina. Do you think this year's WrestleMania has the potential to be the best WrestleMania ever? The number of awesome moments and matches that could potentially happen this year seems unparalleled. I think every WrestleMania has the potential to be the best WrestleMania ever. You know, they've got a bunch of strong matches that are teased or or lined up so far for WrestleMania. So does it have the potential to be the best? Yeah, it has the potential to be the best. I thought last year's show was, was excellent. So who's to say this year won't be even better than last year? It's, it's going to be a high bar to meet. But I think that uh, certainly this year's main event... Should be a lot better than last year. So yeah, I think it's possible. Jordan from Washington, D.C. What was the reasoning behind WWE going back to standard arenas for WrestleMania 21 and 22? I know they ran an arena for WrestleMania 20, but I don't look at that in the same light because it made sense to run MSG for the 20th anniversary. Was business just down at the time or were there other factors involved? That may have been part of it. I think I don't think it was any one thing. Uh, business did wane for them compared to what they had been doing uh, in the years before that. Uh, you could trace it back to the Stone Cold heel turn at WrestleMania 21 and or WrestleMania 17 rather, and the uh, and the death of WCW. Those two things together, and you could you could track the uh, the downward turn that uh, wrestling took at that point. But I also think they were a little spooked. When that WrestleMania 19 buy rate came in a lot lower than they expected. You know, 20 was already locked in for MSG because it was the 20th anniversary. The whole theme of the whole theme of the show was where it all begins again, right? That was the big tagline in 2004. I always thought, and I still think, that it had mostly to do with them wanting to run the biggest markets and return to where the first few WrestleManias were held. They had 20 at MSG. 21 and 22 were in LA and Chicago, which were two of the markets for WrestleMania 2. And then they were back to Detroit for WrestleMania 23. Now, WrestleMania 3 was in Pontiac, which is part of like Metro Detroit. 
So they basically went back to more or less the same place for WrestleMania 23 as they were for WrestleMania 3. So it all sort of corresponded uh, when you really look at it. But LA and Chicago were two of the biggest media markets in the country after New York, if not maybe the two biggest media markets after New York City. And at the time, I don't think they had any big enough stadiums with a roof on it in those markets. Right? I, I, at the time in New York, I know they didn't. If they did, maybe they would have run stadiums there. You know, even Safeco Field, when they ran there for WrestleMania 19, the roof was closed. So I think all of those things played a role in them deciding to go into those markets. And then I think from, I want to say it was from 24 onward, uh, in Orlando is when they started to have these cities bidding for the right and requesting that they come and bring WrestleMania. And that was the start of the whole bidding process. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And Maddie, I don't know if it's Mady or Maddie. We'll say Maddie. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Here from New York. Kurt Angle's departure from WWE in 2006 is convoluted. I noticed Kurt had a lot of inconsistencies in the past when discussing the situation. WWE also tried to help Kurt save face at one time. Do you know why Kurt Angle was terminated in 2006? Well, I will tell you that that was not a decision that WWE made lightly. Kurt Angle was one of their biggest stars. Kurt Angle was their one and only Olympic gold medalist, former world champion, WrestleMania headliner. They did not want him to go, especially to go somewhere else. So for them to give him an unconditional, not just a release, but an unconditional release, because he went right to TNA, right, within weeks. That tells you something about how fucked up Kurt Angle was at that time. And the word has always been that Vince McMahon did not, and and one of the reasons why Vince never thought to bring him back, was in no rush to bring him back, he did not want an Olympic gold medalist to die on his watch. He did not want to have an Olympic gold medalist under contract and have him drop dead. Which is why it took so long to get him back into the company. He really had to win their trust back. But Kurt Angle had a very serious painkiller addiction, which also turned into a big problem with alcohol, and he ended up having a whole bunch of fucking DUIs and or DWIs to his to his name when he was in TNA. But he had a very serious painkiller addiction. Kurt's story has always been he wanted to leave. That he knew he had a problem, and he went to WWE and wanted time off, and Vince said no. Vince wouldn't give him time off, and so he knew he had to leave. As he tells it, there was a meeting. He and his agent went to WWE headquarters in Stanford. They were going to meet with Vince. And Vince pulled out a printout of a whole bunch of text messages that Kurt had sent him. And Kurt didn't remember sending him any of these messages because he was so fucked up. But he was sending him all kinds of text messages and talking about how he wanted to kick Vince's ass and 
Yeah, supposedly Vince started to take off his jacket like he was going to give Kurt the opportunity to go ahead and kick his ass. And, you know, Kurt didn't really want to kick his ass. But, you know, Kurt was embarrassed and he left the room and then he came back and he asked for his release. And then Vince offered to, you know, send him to rehab and Kurt just, he just wanted his release. So, especially at the time, those were kind of where the reports were. The option was get help and go to rehab or you're going to get fired. And because he chose not to go to rehab, WWE released him. And they allowed him to kind of save face in the whole situation by... It was kind of made to sound like it was a mutual decision. Again, the whole thing that Kurt wanted time off, it was turned down and rejected. And I I don't know that I totally buy that. Because if we could see that he was fucked up, how do you think the people who worked with him, right? Especially if they were getting bizarre text messages and getting reports from the agents and the other wrestlers. I mean, how, how could they not have known? how beat up and how fucked up this man was. If he wanted time off, I find it hard to believe that they would be like, no, <laughs> you know, as important as he was. And he was an important part of, of the roster there. And they just recently sent him to the ECW brand. So I could see them being like, well, you know, we really need you there. But if he really needed time off and said, look, I, I don't think I'm going to be around much longer unless I get t- time off to get my, my shit together here. I find it very hard to believe that You know, they they would have just said no. Angle has also talked about the move to ECW in past interviews. And I I, I pulled a passage from one interview that he did. Uh, I don't remember exactly uh, what year this was. But he claimed that the move to ECW was part of the reason why he left WWE when they decided to put him on that brand. And he looked at it like they're taking their best guy and they're putting him in ECW. And it just kind of felt to him like a demotion, and he didn't like that. He wanted his, yeah, he he understood why Vince wanted his workhorse on this new brand to try to make it as successful. Uh, but, you know, Kurt in this interview said, you know, where do I go after I work RVD in the Sandman? And then he said, well, sorry, S- Sandman's not really much of a wrestler. It's more like wrestling a kendo stick. I had to deal with RVD first. Then they had Sabu, who I loved working with. Then after that, it was Sandman and Balls Mahoney. It was like, oh my God, are you serious? What am I going to do with this? So it was frustrating, and that was kind of the reason that things died down with me in WWE. Part of it, but not all of it. And I'm sure that was part of it. I'm sure he did look at it as a demotion. But he was so just rooted in addiction at the time. I mean... Even beyond that, in his days in TNA, there's always been a concern that, you know, what's going to happen with Kurt? He doesn't look like he's all there. He's all hopped up on God knows what. Then the DUI started and it just looked like a tragedy waiting to happen. I can understand why Vince McMahon wanted to wash his hands of it and didn't want to have anything to do with it. But just imagine Vince McMahon giving Kurt Angle an unconditional release. If that doesn't tell you how worried they were about this guy, then I don't know what what does. I believe they offered him rehab. He didn't want to go to rehab or, you know, either he didn't recognize the problem was that bad or he just felt it wasn't needed. And they let him go. And it wasn't long after that, Dixie swooped him, swooped in and scooped him up. And look, he was one of the biggest, I would argue that Kurt Angle was the single biggest acquisition 
that TNA ever made. He came in, he brought credibility, he brought a big name at a time when they really could use someone like that. He worked with all those guys. He worked with Samoa Joe, he worked with AJ, he worked with all of them. Bobby Roode, right? And he had incredible matches in TNA. His TNA in-ring career lasted longer than his WWE career, which is something that always blows me away when I think about it. But he worked with all of them. He worked with Abyss, and he worked with Sting, and he worked with Jarrett. He had an incredible run in that company. Was it the smartest thing for Dixie to do? To swoop in and give the guy a job when he clearly, given that the other company let him go, had serious issues to sort through? No. But she was looking at it from a business perspective. Oh, look who just became available. And he did end up becoming the biggest acquisition that they ever made. But Kurt, when Kurt talks about how, you know, he shouldn't be here today, like a lot of that's, it, that's a shoot. I can't believe that he's here. When he would talk about all the, the number of pain pills and stuff that he would take, it's crazy. I mean, that would kill a horse. But yeah, I, I do believe that the company probably helped Kurt save face by maybe painting it to be a little more mutual than they should have. I don't know that, uh, Kurt was looking to leave the company. They gave him an ultimatum, and he was like, no. And they're like, well, this isn't going to work. It is convoluted. It is convoluted. I think there's a little bit of truth in there, but not the entire truth from Kurt. That that might be Kurt's version of it, but Kurt was also fu- so fucked up at the time, he may legitimately not remember all the details. Anyway, if you have questions for the mailbag, send them on in. The Monster at gmail.com. Thank you guys for uh, all of your concern on uh, Friday night. I I will not get into everything that happened after the SmackDown review, but it was not a good night for me. And uh, I didn't get to bed until noon the next day once I got home. And then I was finally able to sleep for about six hours, so that was nice. Uh, But speaking of, (laughs) I'm just talking about Kurt Angle and how fucked up he was on uh, pain pills. I've got my pain pills and my muscle relaxers now, so I feel like a wrestler. And uh, I am feeling better. Thank you again. I I didn't want to worry anybody, but I got some emails and I guess some people were alarmed. It's nothing you need to worry about. I'll be live tomorrow night, then again on Wednesday, and again on Friday, and again on Saturday, after Elimination Chamber, and then back here next Sunday for episode 796. I have to be okay. We got a busy week ahead. So be well. Stay safe. If you were watching tonight, enjoy the big game again. I'm going with Philly. 31-24. I got no money on this. I got no dog in this fight. But that's my prediction for the Super Bowl. And uh, I will see you back here for 796 next Sunday. Until then, take care, guys. The Solomonsters sounds off. As of today, Kofi is the only man who has declared himself for the Rumble. We're only a few weeks away. You would think that the rest of the roster would be interested in trying to win themselves a main event title match at WrestleMania, but evidently that's not the case. If it were me, I would have been the second person to announce myself for the Royal Rumble. Then I would promptly hold on to the bottom rope, and I would handcuff myself to the bottom rope, and I would stick the keys down my crotch, and that's where I would lay. Until the right moment, I would uncuff myself, I would sneak up behind somebody, I would give them about five low blows. And then I would dump him out of the ring. And that's how I would win the Royal Rumble. The Solomonster Monster sounds off. Each week, bursting with content. Podcasts, predictions, reviews, YouTube live streams, and more. Become a channel member for perks. And follow the Solomonster Monster on Twitter at Solomonster. Monster.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking.、Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and、uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me. What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.